This Cap Times podcast is brought to you by Exact Sciences Corporation, the makers of Colaguard. Learn more at exactsciences.com. Welcome to On the Cover, a weekly Mad Splainers feature. I'm podcast producer Natalie Yar, and each week I sit down with the reporter behind our latest cover story to find out why it matters. Today I'm here with Cap Times investigative reporter Caitlin Farrell, whose latest report showed how supply shortages are limiting Wisconsin's COVID testing ability and highlighted discrepancies in the way the state is describing its testing effort. Caitlin, welcome to the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. So anyone who's been watching the news lately has heard that controlling the COVID-19 pandemic and eventually reopening the economy will require scaling up testing. When you set out to learn more about Wisconsin's testing, what were the big questions that you wanted answered? Yeah, I just really, I had been hearing a lot in the news and had tuned into a few of the governor's press briefings and was hearing a lot about capacity and how the state had goals for the capacity that they wanted to have as far as the number of tests they wanted to run. But I still was kind of confused about what capacity meant and exactly how close we were to reaching what those benchmarks were in order to reopen sections of the economy. So I had heard reports that there were ongoing supply shortages, both as far as um, how people could be tested and swabbed for the presence of the virus, but then also shortages for the chemicals needed in order to detect whether that virus was present in a human specimen. So I just really wanted to understand more about what capacity means and how the state was defining that term and what it meant that they were using that as a benchmark for how much testing we had done. Like, was it the same thing as the amount of tests we were actually running or was it different? And and what was that difference? And how exactly does the testing happen in Wisconsin? The basic test that most, most entities use is collected in most of the same ways. Someone will swab a person, um, swab their throat behind their nose, and then that specimen from the swab is transported to a lab, and then chemicals detect whether the genetic material of the coronavirus is on that specimen. And so in order to collect that specimen from someone, you need a Q-tip-like long instrument to swab that. You also need a type of like transportation device to move that into a lab. And then you need the chemicals uh, in order to like run the test on a certain device that a lab might have. And so there are a variety of providers who who now are offering tests. So You know, you probably have seen in the news that there are drive-by testing sites um, at a variety of locations. The governor just announced this week that nursing homes will be offering tests and that their residents will be getting tested. But a lot of the time, testing happens at hospitals or clinics. A lot of hospitals have labs in-house where they can process tests. And other hospitals, if they do not have that in-house ability, will send them out to commercial labs to process tests. And um, so those can be a series of private labs in the state. We hear about probably exact sciences as an example, as an entity that is a lab, a commercial private lab, and they work with customers that pay them to process tests. So some hospitals in the state have been or will be sending their kits to exact sciences. 
And you talked about this term capacity as being really key. Your story seems to say that sometimes when our politicians and our public health officials are talking about testing capacity, they're not saying what we think that they're saying. Can you tell me about the numbers and terms that we're hearing and how you found out they might not mean what we think they mean? Yeah, that's right. I think, you know, just me as a reader trying to understand, too, what the state was doing and how we were or were not making progress towards its goals, I was just confused about the term capacity and what that really meant. And so I asked them several times to help me understand what that means and what that means in relation to how many tests the state collectively is actually running. And I learned that many times, like scientists and and labs, define the term capacity in a way that I think might be different than what the average person, member of the public, thinks of when they understand capacity. And so capacity, as defined by the state and as defined by labs, does not necessarily mean the functional capability that they have to actually process as many tests as they would like. Capacity is defined as the amount of tests their devices are able to process as a whole. And so one um, person that I talked to in my story who oversees these labs at UW Health likened it to a car. You need gas in order to put it in the car to see how far it can go. And so different cars and different testing devices might have a different capacity with how fast they can go, for example, or how many tests they actually could run. But without the gas or the supplies to put in any of those devices or vehicles, then you're much more limited in where you can actually go. And so through reporting the story, I learned that capacity is the general theoretical ability that the state has access to to run and process these coronavirus tests. But that's not the same as utilization, which is how many tests on average the state is actually running through its lab partnership. And the capacity number doesn't reflect the ability of labs to run these tests based on how much supplies are available. And so just because we have capacity doesn't mean there's actually the capability to run those tests. And so The state says now that it's averaging about 11,000 to 12,000 tests a day. The goal is at a capacity level, they've said, is 85,000 tests a week. And just yesterday, they put out a press release saying that they have a plan to continue to ramp up that capacity number. But according to the state's own numbers, the actual utilization rate is more like 2,000 to 3,000 at most on average tests a day. And that number, all these numbers continue to, are going to continue to change and and go up. And as supplies become more readily available, the state will surely be doing more testing. But I just saw a big difference in the capacity number that is often cited and the actual utilization number of how many tests are actually being run. And I thought that that was an important thing to highlight for people. So to be clear, they might say they have a capacity of 11,000 or 12,000 tests a day, as in if we had all the supplies on hand and available, we could theoretically run that many tests with the infrastructure we have. But because they are missing swabs or reagents, certain chemicals, uh, they're limited to a much smaller number of tests a day that they can run. Yeah, that's about right. 
in my story, I talked to a handful of, of hospitals and just an example as far as like where we're at with one of the biggest hospital systems in the state and in our city, UW Health says that they have an in-house lab capacity. So they have the ability from the devices that they use to process these tests to run about 2,500 tests a day. And because of supply shortages, they were only running, when I talked to them, three to 400 tests and were working on ramping up to seven to 800 tests a day, but weren't there yet. So that's still, you know, less than half of what the the capacity is. And so that general pattern is what I saw at with every hospital that I talked to, regardless of their size. This podcast is brought to you by Exact Sciences. Join the Madison-based team working to lead earlier cancer detection. Visit exactsciences.com to view the company's hundreds of open jobs. If we want to understand Wisconsin's ability to run COVID tests, what questions should we be asking so that we're not getting tripped up by these terms? I think we should be asking more specifically about utilization rates and then how many tests the state is actually running every day and track that number. I think that then in addition to that, really understanding the details of supply shortages and how that is changing, whether it's reagents, which are the chemicals needed to detect the genetic material of the virus when a lab is processing that test, or whether it's um, the tools needed to swab someone, understanding like where we are there and then what the utilization rate is and how many tests are actually being conducted day to day are numbers that I find more useful in understanding the progress the state is making as far as testing people. And what's being done to address these supply shortages that are holding back the testing in Wisconsin? So there's a lot of things being done, and the, the supply shortage issue is is longstanding. It's not something new, nor is it something particular to Wisconsin. Um, a lot of this stems back to, to the role of the federal government in many folks thinking that it should be coordinating how supplies are allocated. And right now, they are not and have said that they are not doing that. And so it ends up being a case where Wisconsin and a bunch of other states, all of whom are really struggling with supply shortages, are trying to get as much supplies as they can out of a relatively few suppliers, all of whom are trying to fulfill demand and meet demand globally for for what they're providing. And so so there's an effort, you know, on the state level, Governor Evers has written numerous letters to FEMA and we have gotten additional supplies. You know, on the federal level, Senator Tammy Baldwin has teamed up with um, some Democratic colleagues from other states. They have a bill uh, where they want to compel President Trump to invoke the Defense Authorization Act specifically to produce more of these supplies and calling for more coordination on the federal level. So there's there's efforts on both the state and federal level to get to get the supplies. And then, you know, at the at a smaller level, individual hospital systems and other entities work with suppliers directly themselves to to try to get more. So it's pretty multi-pronged there, but all the more reason I think that it would be helpful if the state is tracking this to really understand the big picture of supplies and how much progress we're making and getting closer to closing that deficit. Definitely. This story first published online last Friday, and it will be in print this week. What's changed since last Friday? 
So to my understanding, I don't think that the supply issue has been rectified. I think it's still there still are shortages. That being said, um, the governor's office earlier this week put out a press release saying that they have a plan to make Wisconsin one of the top testing states per capita and that they are continuing to ramp up capacity. And so the same questions that I sought to examine and address in my story, I think, are still out there. I think that testing utilization and the number of tests run do continue to go up, but there still is a deficit there from what capacity is to what utilization is. And so the news that the governor's office announced this week, again, really just looks at capacity and does not focus on supply shortages nor utilization. And lastly, I would just ask you, what was surprising to you as you reported this story? What weren't you expecting to find? I don't know. I guess I found surprising, to be honest, just how much of a question I still have about the usefulness of the capacity term. I understand, I guess, why it would be useful to know in general what the capacity is. But I think that, again, without really clarifying the definition of that and also pairing it with utilization, which I think should be a primary metric of this, I'm still confused (laughs) about what the announcements about capacity actually mean and how much closer we are to testing as widely as we need to be testing in order to reopen. So so that honestly was something that was surprising to me because I thought that I would be able to more readily get that information. Absolutely. Thank you, Caitlin. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to my conversation with Caitlin Farrell, who spends her days delving into what state policies really mean and how they're affecting people. Tune in next week when I talk with Metro reporter Nicholas Garten. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe to The Madsplainers on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever else you do your listening, and leave us a review while you're there. Also, be sure to check out our other podcasts, including The Corner Table, all about food and drink in Madison, and Wedge Issues, all about state politics. Until next time... Thanks for listening. This podcast has been brought to you by Exact Sciences Corporation, the makers of Colaguard. Once again, be sure to learn more at exactsciences.com.